Morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Game of Loans podcast. And I wanted to share my this week's Monday Mortgage Melt, which is my weekly Q&A that I do over on Instagram, um, because some of the questions were really, really interesting this week. We had a, um, a real sort of packed schedule, shall we say, of questions. A lot of it to do with sort of really getting into what's going on with the mortgage market at the moment, with the lending market, why things are the way they are. So I wanted to share this with you because I thought the answers to this question would be very useful to you guys. So sit back, enjoy. And here is this week's Monday Mortgage Melt. Um, And don't forget, if you're loving this podcast, please do jump on and give a five-star review because it really, really actually helps me spread this podcast to as many people as possible. Enjoy. Hello, sexy people. How are we doing? Welcome to the Monday Mortgage Melt, episode 136. Um, 136 weeks of doing this lovely Q&A that I like to do every Monday, obviously, which is why it's called the Monday Mortgage Melt. So welcome, welcome, welcome. See some people joining already. Thanks very much for joining me. I'm, I'm three minutes late. I'm three minutes late. Sorry, guys. Just, uh, just setting up my tripod, actually. Um, my other tripod broke. Somebody else broke it, 100%. Um, but, uh, so I had to get a new one, um, and I brought the new one in. So it's got a little ring light behind it. It's much bigger than the other one. And it means I'm hands-free. I can do whatever I want. So you get a lot more, what's the, what's the terminology? Just, gesticulating? Is that what it's called? I've got no fucking clue. Anyway, um, I hope you're all having a really good start to the week and had a good weekend. Um, I spent Monday afternoon slash evening in Brighton. That was fun. Um, it was my mate's birthday, so I went down there, got the train. Can you believe it? It only costs £10 to get a return uh, to Brighton and uh, to London. Ah, very, very good. I was very impressed. Um, had some extremely overpriced food and some even more extremely overpriced beer. Why? How, how is it now normal that it's £7.50 for a pint of beer? Oh, really annoys me. It also annoys my bank manager as well. Really upsets him. Um, thank you very much, Michelle. Feeling good today. Feeling good. Feeling good. I feel like this is going to be a good one. Although, I have a little look at the priority questions, uh, which for those of you that are joining me for the first time on this live, you won't know. During the course of the day, I put a story out on Instagram with a little question box. I call that my priority questions. And I get people to, um, to they can basically jump the queue um, and they get their question answered at the beginning of the live. Um, and my mate Paul has put a question there, which I'll, I'll go through um, at the beginning. I'll get that one done early doors um, because he's trying, he's winding me up. And I know he's winding me up and I'll tell you why in a little while. Um, but welcome everybody to the Monday Mortgage Mail, episode 136. This is my weekly Q&A that I do. And we talk all about property finance. So we talk about property investing. We talk about strategies. We talk about the market. We talk about property and mortgage market. Talk about different types of finance. We talk about a lot of people ask me predictions about what's going to be happening in the market over the next few months. They talk about, you know, what are the best strategies, um, you know, all these sorts of lovely things. And we have a right good chat about it. Um, so welcome. I hope you will really, really enjoy it. If you do, 
there's a little heart button in the bottom right hand corner. If you keep hitting on that, it actually sends a little subliminal message out to Instagram uh, that we're having a really great time and it will just, it means Instagram then goes, oh, this is working, let's get this to more people. Let's, because lives keep people on Instagram as long as any type of um, different content that it creates. So they love it when someone's doing a good live and they can get people to, to stick around on their platform for longer because the longer they spend on a platform, the more chance they're gonna see an advert and spend some money. Um, it's as simple as that, people. It's the modern world, more than capitalist society. Can't even talk. Capitalist society still can't say it. Society that we uh, that we live in today. Um, so, as I said, this is my weekly Q and A. Now, a little bit of housekeeping before we jump into those priority questions. Thanks for the hearts, guys. Um, no, it's not a new haircut. Somebody asked me this. I, I've my hair's been like this for two weeks now. Um, maybe it's just a little bit more bouffanty than normal today. Obviously, they had the hair dryer uh, come out this morning. I gave her the hair dryer treatment. Wee. Um, anyhow, um, yeah, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, if you want to ask me a question, there is a really good way of doing that, and that's to use the question box, which is down here. It's a little little um, speech bubble with a question mark in it. If you click on that. Write your question in and it will go in my little queue and I'll get notified that, you, that it's in there. And then what I can do is I can open that up, I can click on it and I can bring it up on the screen and everyone can see it, which is great. Don't use the comments, because as you can see, um, Luke, Anas, um, Mr. J, Chohan, um, and various others are joining the live. And as more and more people join the live, your question will just get bumped further and further up and I have to scroll through and try and find it. Um, and there's a good chance I may then miss it, which obviously we don't want to do that. I want to get through all your questions. That's the whole point of us being on it. We're here to learn together. Um, and what's also quite nice, I've found as well, is you do see people asking lots of similar sorts of questions. Um, and I always try and answer them regardless, but what's good is that if you're thinking that the question you want to ask is, stu is a stupid one, chances are it isn't. There's other people thinking about it as well. So it brings everyone together and everyone's asking the same, similar sort of questions and everyone's going, okay, yeah, no, I feel better about myself. I don't feel like a complete idiot for, for wanting to ask that question as well. There is no such thing as a stupid question. If you don't know the answer, it's not a stupid question, is it? Only a why, why, you, it's only a stupid question if you ask a question that you already know the answer to. That's a complete waste of everyone's time. Um, so there we go. Um, right, yeah, keep hammering at that little hammer, um, little hammer, little heart button in the right-hand corner. Um, and you can also actually send this to people. Anyone you think would enjoy this live, please send that to them too. Um, quickly, if you don't go over and follow me on YouTube and have not watched any of my 200-odd videos that are up there on various different things, please go and do that. Um, um, don't see a question button, I just see a video button and a share button. Okay, that's weird. Um, it should be on there. It might just be something to do with your, um, with the version of Instagram you're using. Um, but there is definitely a question uh, button option. Uh, there might be a plus, if you have a look at the uh, button has a plus on it, it might have more options that it opens up for you. Um, so if you struggle to find it, um, or it might be able to slide across or various other things. I can only see it from my angle and I can see it here, so we're all good. Um, so yeah, if you don't follow me on Instagram, um, sorry, if you don't follow me on YouTube, uh, please go and subscribe to my channel. Just type in Sam Norris with an N for November, not an M for mother, um, and I will pop up at the top. You'll see the same picture that you can see in the you know top right-hand corner. Um, that is my picture on YouTube as well. So please go and subscribe and like a load of videos and make and comment on and any ones that you enjoy. Um, and also, if you don't subscribe to the Game of Loans podcast, which is my podcast, we're into about 115 odd episodes now, where I am 
interviewing the great and the good of the property and business world. Uh, we've got some amazing guests on there, really great guests, um, where you can just listen in to me and them having a right little natter. Um, so if that does tickle your fancy, uh, go and subscribe to the Game of Loans podcast. If you're already subscribing to the Game of Loans podcast, then can I ask a massive favour and can you go and write a review? Because that would be really, really helpful for me. Thank you very much. I want to try and get as many people this year. I really want to try and grow the Game of Loans podcast. Um, me and a colleague, uh, me and a friend, are considering going to the um, the podcast uh, exhibition at or it's like a podcast conference down in London um, in May. Uh, so that'll be fun. And I have a Game of Loans podcast hoodie ready and waiting, although it might be hot in in, uh, in May, might need to get a t-shirt. Anywho, um, let's get cracking with the questions, shall we? Um, don't forget, if you want to ask a question, use the little question box um, down here and um, and I will get to your questions as soon as I can. But starting off with questions from my stories and that question from Paul. Uh, if you don't follow Paul, uh, the real Paul McGee, um, he does, does a lot of Forex trading and training um, on there. But, so, I've moved to the West Midlands and Villa are doing particularly well at the moment. I'm very happy about that. They're sort of my adopted team up here. But in my heart, I'm a Barnet fan. And Ollie Watkins plays up front for Aston Villa, um, which is, you know, I'm, I hope he scores loads of goals for Aston Villa. Great, great stuff. But the guy's a knob because a couple of years ago when he was still playing for Brentford in the FA Cup fourth round after the Mighty Bees, the Mighty Barnet, had gone to uh, Sheffield United and won 1-0 as a non-league team. Um, we welcomed Brent Brentford um, to our stadium and um, Ollie Watkins dived in the penalty area. There was about that much space between him and the ball and he won a penalty and he scored it and we drew 3-3 and we would have won if it wasn't for that. So how many properties do you think Ollie Watkins owns? Hopefully none. Hopefully none. Bastard. Anyway, should we go on with the real questions now? Now you now you know. Now you know why I don't like Ollie Watkins. <laughs> um, brilliant. So um, let's go with right, here's a good one. Uh, we get we get variations of this pretty much every week. Renewing limited company mortgages to fix for two years or five years at the moment. Good question. Hands up. Who would also like to know the answer to this question? Just, just I don't know, do some sort of emoji, um, a thumbs up emoji or something in the comments. Let me know. Because um, I think a fair few of you are going to want to know um, what you should be doing at the moment. So how, how technical do we go? How technical do we go? Let's go somewhere in the middle technical. So you guys will know because you follow me and you'll hear me talk about it all the time. Um, thank you, guys. Um, that swap rates or Sonia rates are how lenders determine the cost of fi finance to lend to, to each other. Interbanking loans, should we call it? Interbank loans. Um, and depending on how much you borrow the money from another bank for, so say, for example, you're a relatively small niche lender, buy-to-let lender, you might borrow money from Citibank or JP Morgan or RBS. Um, this is why RBS lends so much money to the rest of the market. Um, it's why the government had to bail them out um, 10 plus years ago, whatever it was during the credit crunch, because it would have had a real impact on our lending market if they weren't around. So um, 
So, and depending on how long you borrow that money for, will mean you get a slightly different interbanking rate. Um, and at the moment, we are finding that it's actually cheaper to borrow the money a bit more long term because that shows a bit of stability. And it's, you know, in the short term, we're still seeing a bit of volatility. We're still seeing, you know, we've still got high um, inflation, bank of base rates quite high, you know, in terms of recent historically, you know, certainly the highest has been in 10 odd years. Um, so there's a little bit more like up and down. There's not as much comfort in what's going on with the economy in the short term. So we are finding that the difference between two year fixed rates and five year fixed rates is as small as it's been for a long, long, long time, maybe ever. And actually, a lot of lenders aren't even bothering with two-year fixed rates at the moment because they're like, well, it costs so much money to borrow the money on a two-year fixed for us to lend it out on a two-year fixed. What is the point? Let's just go in for the five-year fixed rates. Although, I did post on uh, LinkedIn last week. So LinkedIn is where I, I post a lot of kind of updates on the, oh, this product's amazing at the moment or this product's amazing at the moment. So go and, go and connect with me on LinkedIn if you want to see a lot more of that type type of content, type of content. I really can't talk to that. I need to get put my teeth back in. Um, and uh, there was a really great new uh, product come out. Um, there was a three-year fixed rate where the rental calculator is the same as a five-year fixed rate calculator. And this is the next point I was actually going to make because one of the reasons why a lot of, a lot of lenders as well aren't bothering with two-year fixed rates at the moment is because generally speaking, the rental calculators that lenders will use, and they are the calculators that determine, based on the rental income your property is getting, how much you can borrow. Um, there's two types of rental calculators, just to keep it nice and simple. You've got your standard rental calculators and you've got your um, sort of pay rate rental calculators. And what a standard rental calculator will do is it will take the rate that you're paying, it will add some uh, percentage onto it, maybe one, two percent. So like basically we're stress testing the interest rate. Um, and then what they'll do is they'll work out based on how much you want to borrow, they'll work out what the monthly interest only payment would be at that stress tested interest rate. And your rent will be need to be about 125% of this figure. Now, obviously the higher that rate, the more your rent needs to be to achieve the loan amount that you want. They are generally, that rent, that, that uh, standard rental calculator is generally used for two-year fixed rates, okay? However, for five-year fixed rates, we use a pay rate rental calculator. And what that means is that you um, you basically just use the pay rate. So if you're getting, if, you, if your rate is 5.5%, the rental calculator will use 5.5%. On a standard rental calculator, it was 5.5%, they might add 2% onto that. So you have to need to run it off of 7.5%. So you are much more likely to get the loan amount that you need on a five-year fixed rate product because it's going to use the, the, um, the, 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 the uh, the pay rate rental calculator. So that might be a really good um, reason why um, a lot of people might go for a five-year fixed rate at the moment. So just as a bit of a heads up there. Um, so in addition to that, um, I'm just finding as well, a lot of my clients are, you know, they're, they're building portfolios and one of the things you want to be doing in the growth stage of your of building your portfolio, which is the first stage, the two stages, building, growth, and there's the consolidation element after that. Um, when you are growing, you want to be making use of every bit of available equity you can. Now, the caveat to that is, you know, don't over leverage yourself because particularly in a market as volatile as ours potentially can be at the moment, you might set yourself up to be in a bit of a tricky situation, um, you know, over the next 18 months or so as as 
property prices may come down in certain areas. Um, but on the whole, the idea is make use of the equity you've got. Pull cash out, it's, it's just deposits, you know? All you need really to be a successful property investor is property deals and cash, okay? So if you've got the cash um, or cash slash funding, so if you can refinance some properties um, and uh, and then use that to build another deposit, you just add, you, could, you know, you, you add another property to your portfolio. And then of course, you've also then got more properties you can refinance, more income that you're generating, therefore getting to the next deposit becomes that much easier. And this is why we see a lot of the time when you're growing your portfolio to exponential growth. Be slow to start with and it gets quicker because the more properties you own, the more opportunity you've got for growth within the portfolio, more opportunity you've got to pull money out of the portfolio to reinvest. And of course, you are continually making more and more and more rental income on a monthly basis. So if you're a clever investor, you're not paying yourself out of that until you reach the point where you've built the portfolio that you want and it's replaced your you know, your, this is your buy to let income replacing your noisy income from your job, from your uh, business, from your, you know, from your high yielding uh, property assets. You know, we're talking about the longer term portfolios, um, passive portfolio stuff now. Um, and so this is the point I was going to make. In reality, over the next two years, are we going to see huge growth in the property market? Probably not. We haven't seen quite the dip that everyone was anticipating. We're really seeing more of a correction, a bit of stagnation going on in the market at the moment. Um, but the reality of it is, is that we're probably not going to see a big improvement in the cost of, or the big increase in the cost of property again um, until we get until our inflation gets on track, really. Um, now, the reason for that is that, so you might be able to hear a dog running around outside my office for some reason. Um, but what the reason um, for that is, um, until inflation really gets back under control, and they are, they, you know, they have, they have been talking early part of this year about the prospect of inflation getting down to, you know, below 5% by the end of the year, which would be cracking, really, really good work if they do. Um, but realistically, it's not going to, um, impact the Bank of England's base rate, which will have an on, you know, a knock-on effect then to the rates you're going to then be paying on your mortgages until um, until the, you know it goes below the Bank of England base rate. So until inflation really goes below sort of five percent, four and a half, four percent, it doesn't really give the Bank of England too much um, you know reason to to lower the rate. So until we get that rate lowered we're probably not going to see mass decreases in the um in the mortgage rates particularly when we talk about the residential mortgage rates because the residential buyers that are driving the market more so um and don't forget everyone talks about supply and demand being the reason why you know we have a, a really good solid property um market in the uk well actually what fuels the demand the availability of credits so whilst we have these historically in terms of short term historically higher interest rates it's making it more difficult for people to afford the mortgages they need to buy the properties that they want therefore they're just not buying at the moment so there are less buyers in the market and of course that lowers the demand and um, which means that the supply and demand gets a bit closer and we get a bit of a stagnant market or we get a bit of a dip and so until we get the availability of credit becoming better, um, i.e. rates coming down, affordability improving, we are probably unlikely to see improvements in the property market. Therefore, if you are a buy-to-let uh, investor and you're looking to get a new mortgage, is there any point getting a two-year fixed rate? Is there? 
I would say at the moment, probably not. By the time we get around to five years, are we going to see some capital growth? Probably. So makes a lot of sense. It's going really well, PT Review. Thank you very much for asking. Um, welcome to the Monday Mortgage Mail. So, um, so does that answer that question? I think I, I, you know, I took a while answering it. I went into quite a lot of detail, I think, there. Bearing in mind at the beginning, I said, how much detail should I go into? I'll go into a middling amount. Well, that's actually quite a lot. There we go. That, do you know what? I think that would be a really good um, YouTube video. I'll have to listen to this back and then regurgitate that as a YouTube video in a bit more detail. Um, sound good? Does that sound like a good idea? I think that would be a good, good idea for a, for, a, for a longer video. Right, so if you want to ask a question, guys, don't forget this is the Monday Mortgage Melt, episode 136. Ask me anything you want. I haven't had any questions come through from you guys yet, so I'm wondering if there is actually something wrong and you guys can't ask me questions. Are you guys struggling to find the question box? I can see it right down here, but we had someone earlier on mention that they couldn't find it. So let me know if you're struggling in the comments. Um, and if you can't, then maybe we'll just have to use the comments as a one-off um, for questions. But I've still got a few questions from my stories. Um, and as a few of you are doing, please keep hitting that little heart button. Um, helps me out a lot. So let's ask. Um, right, okay, this is, I tell you what, well, this is good actually, because it's kind of like an add-on to the previous one. Mortgage market for the rest of 2023, where's flourishing, where's drawing back? Okay, cool. Um, great, uh, PT review, can you see the question box? If so, please use it with your question. If not, um, it must be there's, there's a bit of a problem. Um, but let's get on with this question to start with, because I want to build bring up on the screen as well mortgage market mortgage market for the rest of 2023 where's flourishing where's drawing back okay so i mean as a whole the market in general is is struggling a little bit to be quite honest with you um in terms of where it has been in in, in recent history you know we don't have to go back even as much as a year to be seeing you know buy to let rates starting with a two or a three and, and residential rates starting with a one or a two you know even even buy to let rates um some of them were starting with a one so it has been, you know, it's a big, big change in a very short period of time. It looks like the question box is working, guys. So please put your questions in the question box. So yeah, um, we've seen we've seen a lot of change. We've seen a lot of change. Um, so I'd say across the board, um, buy to lets are struggling. Buy to lets are struggling. Yields need to be five and a half percent or more. I would say. To, in order to probably be able to get 75% on a standard rental calculator, 75% uh, loan to value, I should say, on a standard rental calculator. So that is obviously a part of the market that's struggling. That's leading to a lot of people struggling on the on the the on that front, on a standard buy-to-let front. Um, but lots of other parts of the market are doing pretty well. I mean, HMO mortgages, we're seeing more lenders than ever before lending on HMOs. We're seeing more lenders than ever before allowing first-time investors, not first-time buyers, I might add, first-time investors going straight in with HMO. You know, we're seeing um, more HMOs with um, with no minimum income requirement, no uh, mortgages with a minimum income requirement for HMOs. Loads of stuff going on in that. It's, 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 it's becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and we're also finding as well more lenders that might be okay with doing um, investments, sort of commercial yield-based type valuations, even when we don't have the planning permission to have a sui generis classified HMO, which is the standard way of doing that. That's, um, you know, we've got lenders that are looking at six and five bed HMOs, which you only need to be um, classified C4, 
and they're still maybe potentially looking at that on a, on a commercial yield base valuation, which for those that are following that strategy that I was talking about before, where you're building, 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 you want to draw out as much money as you can every single time, it just makes those HMO, BRR strategy deals where you're buying, converting, renovating, refinancing, you can pull even more um, money out of those deals, which is going to just help you grow your portfolio a lot quicker. HMO growth. Uh, HMO as a growth strategy at the moment is a good one. There's high demand for HMO rooms because lots of people are getting divorced, me included. Not that I'm moving into a room anytime soon. I've got my nice flat, thanks very much. Cheers, X. <laughs> then we've got the, um, and then we've got more and more people having to just downgrade anyway because they can't afford it because the rent's going up. Um, you know, people are moving. There's, there's a high demand for HMO rooms at the moment. So that's obviously really, really beneficial. That's pushing up rents. Um, but in addition to that, I just think we've got permitted development rights, you know, still in place outside of Article 4 areas to, you know, to convert to C4. Um, and they're high generating income um, properties. Therefore, when you are beginning your journey as a property investor, you want high cash flowing properties. Um, this is why when you go on these courses, they say start with buy to let. That's the way to do it. No, it isn't. It really isn't. If your long term strategy is to have a large buy to let passive income type portfolio, the place to start is not buy to let because it takes bloody ages. Because you go down the BRR strategy and you know you, you're, you're doing a twenty five percent return um, on the cash that you're leaving in, which means that um, you know you're, you're leaving in decent amounts of cash in those deals every single time, and it becomes harder and harder and harder to keep building those deposits back up. Okay, so. Uh, you know, look at stuff like HMOs and the HMO market for mortgages is getting better and it is strong at the moment. Another one that's getting stronger is service accommodation. More lenders than ever before are lending on service accommodation products. This is where, um, on property, sorry, this is where you, you rent out your property on a short term basis. It might be nightly, it might be weekly, it might be monthly. You know, I've got clients that will rent out their property sometimes um, on a three month basis. You know, it might be somewhere where um, somebody's going up to do a, a, a job or someone's going up to do a training course or something and they need to be there for one or two months or three months. So it can be, a, you know, various different degrees of that. And generally speaking, you're getting a lot more. I mean, I've got a client, um, they can get um, in three in three nights, they can they, they get the same money as they would on a standard AST if they rent it out. So they need to rent it out three nights a month to make the same money. Um, and we are finding that lenders are, are getting used to this. Um, the criteria is improving a lot. We're seeing a lot more streamlined criteria surrounding rental calculators, just basing it off what a standard AST would generate. And if that fits with the rental calculator, happy days, nice and easy, just to work out whether you can borrow the money that you need to borrow or not, which is obviously fantastic. Um, uh, I'm so lost with these acronyms. Please DM me when completed your live. Well, I'll tell you what, DM me with any anything you don't understand uh, or just put anything in the comments you don't understand. Maybe there's other people that are not understanding some of these, uh, some of this jargon, some of this terminology as well. Um, but yeah, service combination, real growth area. And we've actually got now a lender who will let you borrow. So, so service combination is a specific product, we, we, need to, we might add, same as HMO, specific product. Um, but we have got some lenders now, one in particular, that will allow you to rent your property out on a, a serviced accommodation basis on a standard buy-to-let mortgage product. Oh yeah, and it starts with a four. I know, I might need to sit down. It starts with a four, can you believe it? Incredible. Love it. 
So service accommodation, another great uh, strategy at the moment, and the mortgage market is catching up. It's been rubbish for a while, um, but it really is starting to realize that service accommodation is here to stay, and it's a really strong property strategy, and these lenders just want to get in on the act, don't they? Um, so again, high cash flowing, good way to start your portfolio, um, to get it good, you know, high cash flow in, pull that money out, um, I mean, I think the best way of doing it is if you've got a high cash flow in portfolio, HMO, service accommodation, or you run a, a business that's making good cash flow, you do rent to rent that's making good cash flow, you do, uh, well, deal sourcing, making good cash flow. These are your high cash flowing property related businesses. Um, and then what you do is you pull that money out and then you want to grow that money as quickly as possible. So say, for example, you build up 100 grand, you, need, you, want, you want to turn that 100 grand into 300 grand. Well, go and do a development. You know, go and do a flip, go and do that kind of stuff. So grow it, and then the money from there, that's your money that you're then using to just buy your passive your passive income property. So you might go and buy a block of flats and then just rent it out to a, a social housing um, uh, company or or the local council or something like that. Forget about it. They're not, they're not going to yield you much money. Or maybe you might even give it to a rent-to-renter. It's not going to yield you as much money, but it's passive. That's what we're aiming for. That's how you do it. The three three-step strategy to doing that. My my business, you know, my, my, my cash flow business is Grand Union Finance, my mortgage brokerage, okay? I, it doesn't need to be a property business to start with, but you wanna start off with some of those high cash flow. If you wanna be in property, those high cash flow uh, uh, strategies are HMO and SA. You know, they, they, they just are. Now, another thing that we get a lot of demand for at the moment is mortgages for service, um, for social housing. Okay, this is this is a big part of the market that needs more lenders coming into it. So I wouldn't say it's drawing back, but it certainly isn't moving forward. And I plead to lenders all the time, please, please, please lend to my client who wants to rent their property to a social housing organization. And they say no. Um, we have a handful of lenders that will do it. Um, it meet, with the smaller the group of lenders we've got, the more or uh, well, the less opportunity we've got to get market leading rates, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is a bit of a struggle at the moment. But, I, you know, I pray that we get more and more lenders um, over the uh, over the course of the years that will come into this part of the market and help more of these types of clients. Because to be quite honest, guys, we are so shy of um, of social housing properties in the UK. You know, people talk about, oh, you know, landlords just hand their, their properties back and uh, to the government and they'll, they'll be able to put them on the market. Well... That's not going to help. <laughs> that really isn't going to help because there's we're 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 short of properties in all parts of the, of the you know, all sectors: social housing, um, rental, and, uh, and and also residential as well. So, so yeah, we need more social housing properties. More and more people are in need of assistance with their housing at the moment. You know, we've got I've got um, one client um, of mine who is working with a company who specialises in helping um, with um, uh, divorcee men who have had to move out of their family home and they, they haven't really got anywhere to go and they act as a bit of a halfway house for those people, for those guys to be able to uh, to, to, to just get back on their feet. You know, every, everyone needs a bit of assistance every now and again. Um, so the more social housing we can create, um, the better. And we need our mortgage lenders to support this. Um, so maybe there's another video in that somewhere as well. Um, so there we go. That's what's going on in the mortgage market. Different products for different strategies and where I think they're going. How was that, guys? Good? Good? Let me know. Let me know in the comments. Give me a little, uh, what, are they, what is that called? An okay sign. An okay sign or a thumbs up. I'll take either. I'll even take a peace sign. Give me a peace sign. I'm all good with that. So 
Right, let's go on to the last question from my stories, which is how does an absent freeholder affect lending? Good question. It's quite a short answer to this one, really. It's just going to make it very difficult. Um, when we get to, so what will happen is, and sometimes we don't even know this till we get to legal. So what is an absentee freeholder, by the way? Um, so this means that actually we don't know who the freeholder is. So if you're buying a flat, um, that's on a leasehold title, um, then that means that there is a freeholder that owns the block and has created individual leasehold titles for every single flat within that block. Um, and, you know, it's down to them to um, usually yeah, keeping the... Uh, keeping the block of the communal areas um, well-kept and all that kind of stuff. Michelle's got in for the thumbs up and the okay. Oh, impressive, impressive, Michelle. Um, so the, um, hang on a second, Sam, the mortgage man, that's me, eh? That's me. Anyway, um, welcome, Sam. The, um, so where was I? So absentee freeholder. So basically a freeholder is the person that owns the block. And if you own a flat with a leasehold title, you just own that leasehold title for that flat. Now, when you come to refinance, um, sometimes we won't know whether they know who who the freeholder is or not until we get to legals, which is really a real problem. I've had, we've had a case last year, which was delayed by a couple of months because they were trying to find the freeholder. There is no time frame for this. Your solicitor will be tasked to go and find them. We will not be completing until we find them. Okay, so it's really, really important um, that you, you know, these kind of things. If you're buying a flat, there's a real, there's a, you know, there's a good old checklist of things you should be looking at before. Um, on that list is who is the freeholder. Um, know that before you purchase the property, because otherwise you could get in a position where you've already wasted hundreds of pounds on valuations and legals and all this kind of stuff, and you can't complete because you can't find the bloody freeholder. Um, I mean, there is a there is a process. I don't think I don't know the ins and outs of it, but there is a process where if you you know if you can't find the freeholder, there is something that can be done um, to sort of legitimise the situation. But the reality of it is, is from a lending point of view, you're probably not going to be able to complete until you know who that that freeholder is, and you know, and and anything's sort of tied up in that department. So tricky situation. So if you're buying a flat, guys, make sure you check this out first. Okay, got it. Excellent. Cool. Well, look, welcome, welcome all the newbies that have joined us in the last few minutes. Hope you're enjoying the Monday Mortgage Mail episode 136 so far. If you want to ask me a question about anything at all, including property finance, you might want to ask me a question about bridging finance, development finance, commercial mortgages, um, normal mortgages, buy to let. Um, ask me questions about the market. We've discussed that already. Um, ask me questions about different property strategies. All my all my clients at Grand Union Finance, which is my baby, my mortgage brokerage, uh, are all investors and developers. It's what we specialise in. It's what we do day in, day out. I speak to investors every single day and I hear all about their amazing creative strategies that they're using to build financial freedom for themselves. So if you want to ask me anything about that, feel free. I mean, to be honest with you, ask me anything. I don't mind. Um, Let's get to your questions, guys. So um, the PT Review has asked, wanting to go into buy to let, what is a good amount to have that can get me started? So this is a question I get asked a lot, um, which is, um, Goldie, please um, copy and paste that into uh, the question box if you can below, because then I can bring it up. I'll lose that because we'll get people joining the live and it will go up. Uh, it'll go up and up and up and up and up and I'll lose it. Um, so I get the asked this question a lot about when you're getting started, um, you know, how much money do you need to get started? So let's um, let's talk about standard buy to let. OK, tried and tusted, tried and tested. I'm really I'm struggling with my words there, aren't I? Tried and tested method. 
um, which is 25% deposit down, buy a ready-made property, you know, uh, we call it a turnkey investment. It means you can literally turn the key, open the door, get some turns in straight away, you're all good to go. 25% deposit, so for every 100,000 um, pounds of property you're gonna buy, you need 25 grand to go down as a deposit. You're also gonna to need to pay for stamp duty and you're gonna to need to pay for fees like um, solicitor's fees and valuation fees and broker fees. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've got to factor that in. So 100,000 pound property, for example, you might need 25K plus maybe another five, uh, 5K or maybe even a little bit more um, if you, uh, if you, if it's, a, uh, if it's a further property and you need to add that 3% surcharge of stamp duty onto purchase price. Um, so yeah, just uh, something, to, something to think about there. Now we've also got things like the BRR strategy, buy, refurbish, refinance, and that is where you purchase property that is in need of work. You do that work, you add that add value to it as a result, refinance based on a new value, and you get to pull money back out, which, which basically kickstarts your ability to start or to go and, and repeat that process. Now, when BRR first became a thing, it was much, much more easier to, to get deals where you were doing something called money in, money out. And basically what that meant is for every penny that you put into the deal, you were getting that money back out of the other end because property prices were not as high as they are now um, and you were able to, to really add lots of value uh, to a property with not as much work. So two things that really gone against that is obviously the, 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 the property market being very buoyant recently. Um, so the difference between a, a property that needed work versus a property that has had that work done um, was smaller, has become smaller. In addition to that, the cost of the works has become more expensive because of inflation, cost of living crisis, all that kind of stuff. Builders, including my dad, are having to charge more because they have to pay their staff more. They have to, the cost of materials has gone up, all this stuff. So doing BRR where you're doing money in, money out deals has become almost impossible. That's why a lot of people are going over to HMO because doing money in, money out deals on HMO conversions is much, much more likely. But let's talk about BRR for the, for the purposes of this particular question. And that is, how much money do I need to get started? Well, actually it shouldn't be how much money do I need to get started? It should be how much money do I need to keep going? Okay, so if you're having to leave 25%, 50% of all the money that you're leaving in, a you're putting into a deal in that deal, what does that mean? It means in order to do that deal again, you might be pulling out 50 to 75% of the money you put in, but it means you need to find another 20 to 50% of the money you have already put in to do that deal again. So realistically, do you then need 150% of the money that you need to put into the first deal? Because then when you take that money back out, you then have that other cash there to replenish it, which means you can go and do deal number two. But then of course you come to the same problem, which is how do you then do deal number three? The only reason to do BRR is to allow you to accelerate your property portfolio growth. And if you can't do that, then what's the point? So I would say it's not about how much money do you need to get started? It's what strategy are you looking at? Um, and how long will it, with whatever money you could get, will it take you to, to, to run out of that money? What area are you looking at? What strategy are you looking at? Um, you know, how much is it gonna cost you to actually increase the value of these properties? All these things need to be taken into account because of course, you don't just have the deposit that you need to put down, but you need to be looking at cover, covering the cost of works as well. We can look at things like refurbishment 
bridges or light refurbishment bridges where some lenders will take you up 25 percent of purchase price some will look at it and give you a tranche of funds to cap to cover the cost of the works you know, all this kind of stuff you know there is creative ways of using bridging finance to, to look at brr deals um so if you need to speak to anyone about that you know who to come to um so yeah it's uh but it's, it's, it's a much more difficult strategy, which is why, as I said, people are turning to alternative strategies um, to, uh, to, to be able to do that. You can, and it's a difficult market at the moment, you can, I would say, have a hybrid BRR strategy where some properties you re refinance, some properties you sell. Um, I know there's been a, a lot of my clients over the years that have had this strategy and it's allowed them to, to keep growing their portfolio. Because if you say, let's say in a year you bought four properties and two of them you kept, two of them, you sold, well, you might actually end up with more money in the bank at the end of the year than you did at the beginning, which means you, next year you might be able to buy five properties, keep three, sell two. And you just keep repeating that process until, don't forget every single property that you buy and it adds to your portfolio, it's generating you the cash flow as well on a monthly basis. So you get to a point where suddenly, I mean, I've got a client at the moment and their net cash flow per month is enough for them to, to put another deposit down. Every month, they could go and buy another property. And don't even, it doesn't even need to be BRR, just be ready, ready to go, ready to go property, happy days. So there you have it. Basically what I said was, that's the wrong question. <laughs> but hopefully that was helpful. Hopefully that was helpful anyway. Anyway, everyone else find that helpful? Did it, has anyone, has anyone thought of that before? Um, put it in the, let me know in the comments. Um, right, we are motoring on at a speed of knots, a rate of knots, speed of knots. Not sure which one's the right one there. I think it's right, if not, isn't it? So let's get on with the next question. Um, this is from 94 Jordan. Hi, Sam. This is my question right now. Is there a yield return on investment from HMO that you'd suggest is the minimum? Good one. Um, yeah, I would say um, ROI, return on investment. Um, and what this basically means is... Um, how much money are you are you getting back from the investment that you're making, essentially? Um, so you can look at any kind of deal, whether it's a business deal, whether it's a property deal, whether it's, you know, anyway, anything. And you can you can find a return on investment usually when there are figures involved. Um, but yeah, is there a yield return on investment minimum? So yield and return on investment are two different things, okay? So return on investment, um, I would say you're probably looking at maybe 15%. Mac uh, minimum, I mean, I'd be wanting much, much more if it's a HMO. Yield, 10%, probably somewhere in that in that region as an absolute minimum, but you want to be getting more, more than that. Um, yield, by the way, is the annual income a property is generating as a percentage of its value, okay? So you're obviously going to get much. If you're thinking that the average uh, buy-to-let yield in the country is probably 5 5.5%, you should be getting, because you're getting... Let's say for a hundred thousand um, pounds, you know, you're getting five hundred fifty pounds a month. If it's if it's five, it's a one hundred thousand pound valued um, HMO. You should be getting a lot more than five hundred fifty pounds. So realistically, you know, you want to be getting you know double, if not maybe even triple that. So ten to fifteen percent yield um, is not unheard of. Um, and and you can start to see now where I'm where I'm coming from when I'm talking about these cash flow strategies. Um, you know, for every one HMO you've got, um, you might you know you for, you might need three, maybe even four buy to let properties um, in order to achieve that. And as much as you might go, okay, well, you know, there's less headache and all that kind of stuff, and they're easier. Um, well, actually, yeah, they are. 
But that's why your long-term strategy is to build your part your, your standard buy-to-let portfolio. But build it with the cash flow that you've then, you know, you know, you've built really quickly, and then use that money in various ways. Like I said, you've got that tr that tr three three stop strategy. You've got your cash flow. You've got your growth. You've got your passive. So you've got your cash flow strategies that are making money that goes into your holding company that you can then use to go and do big. But bigger developments and flips and stuff, so you can take your hundred thousand pound and turn it into 200, 300, and then you can take the the excess of that. So you so if you if you turn a hundred into three hundred, don't just put three hundred into it, put your two hundred into it, and then use that hundred to turn into another three hundred. And all the time, you've got your money from your cash flow business keep pushing into that and growing and growing and growing. So then it's two hundred that turns into five hundred. So then you've got three hundred you can put down and build that passive income strat um, property portfolio from. Do you see how this works, guys? See how it works. It's, it's simple when you think about it. Does it make sense? Is, is anyone like blown away by this and they've never heard this type of strategy before? Um, because I I've I think it's only really been that like, fairly recent I've been talking about it because I kind of thought it was kind of obvious. Um, but let me know in the comments, please do, please do let me know if you've you've not heard of this kind of like uh, three stop strategy before. Um, because I think I think it's I think it's the way to go. I think it's the way to go. Um, so yeah, Jordan, did that uh, that answer your question? Um, any HMO landlords in the room want to want to give their their thoughts on this? Um, what is the minimum yield you'll be looking for on an HMO? I reckon ten to fifteen percent is is you know probably what you want to be looking for. We would love to hear other people's opinions. Okay, right, we haven't got too long left. We've got a couple of questions left on the list. Uh, if you want to get, I've probably got room for three questions, I reckon. So um, if you want to be that last question, use the question box down at the bottom of the screen and uh, chuck your question into the mix. Um, Goldie's asked, I have two fixed rates within one mortgage. Shall I wait until next year to consolidate them into one? Um, it's always tricky. So what we are talking about here is a lot of the time you might have a mortgage and then you might get a, an, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? A further advance. There we go. Um, so what people think is they go, okay, that's great. Okay, cool. I've got my mortgage, my buy to let mortgage, and I wanna, I'm going to get a further advance, pull some cash out, go and buy something else. Happy days. All good. What they don't realise a lot of the time is you restart the timer on that particular part of your finance. So if you've got a five-year fixed rate on your main mortgage and then three years in, you decide to get a new five-year fixed rate on the further advance, you're, you're going to get, after two years, you've then still got three years left on the further advance amount. So you can't, so basically you've got a product transfer and you can't consolidate. Um, so the two options you've got here are to do that, to do a product transfer with your existing lender um, and maybe try and match them up. So in this instance, what you might do is go, okay, cool, I'll go on a two-year fixed rate um, just, to, just to take me because then I've got three years left on my further advance. So that means I've only got one year left at the end. Um, and then maybe you know the, the early repayment charges won't be as bad if I've decided just to consolidate the whole thing. Because um, the alternative, of course, is to um, pay the early repayment charges at whatever time that is. Generally speaking, on a five-year fixed rate, you're going to be paying 5% uh, of the outstanding balance in the first year, 4% of the outstanding balance in the second year, third year, third, 3% in the third year, 2% in the fourth year, 1% in the last year. So obviously, the longer you hang on, the less early repayment charges you are paying. So basically, you need to weigh up those options, Goldie, and see what's going to work out best for you because if the early repayment charges now um, are not too great um, then what happens is if you hang on and the, and the large part you know the main part of your mortgage you're suddenly on a standard variable rate which might be at you know seven eight 
percent potentially um how much is that going to cost you over the next 12 month period if that is more than what it would cost you to um to pay the early repayment charges on the further advance amount then it's a no-brainer, isn't it? You just refinance because you don't want to be stuck on those higher rates. And also you just want to consolidate. You don't really want two mortgages on one property, particularly when their when their fixed rates don't match up. That just makes life really, really difficult for everyone. Does that make sense? Thumbs up if it does. I know there's a bit of a delay on this, so I won't see it for a few seconds. But yeah, give us a thumbs up, um, Goldie, if that made that makes sense. Um, so cool, got one question left, but I've probably got questions. Time for two if someone wanted to jump in. Ems um, asks, when doing BRR, is it best to buy with cash as you'll then need to get the house revalued to pull your money out? Um, so BRR, buy refurbish refinance, as I said, there are three ways you can purchase a property um, for BRR. Use cash, use investor finance, use a bridge. In fact, there's four, a combination of all, the, all three. In fact, if it is a bridge, you are gonna have to put some money in yourself, so that's either gonna be from from for from from can't talk i really can't talk today can i i don't know what's going on with me um didn't even drink that much this weekend um <laughs> from um your uh you are gonna have to find a deposit on the on the on the, on the bridge so you're gonna need to use an investor or your own cash for that little element of it anyway so so yeah so um but when we're talking about getting the property revalued, yes, um, that's going to happen regardless of how you purchase the property. They're not going to take the valuation from when you purchase it, and you don't want them to take it either because it's going to be at a lower amount. You want them to revalue it at a higher amount. Um, so, what's best? What's best? Buying it cash, buying it with a with a bridge or with investor finance. Um, let me know in the comments your thoughts whilst I give mine. Um, so. There are pros and cons to both, okay? Bridging finance is an accelerator. I've got clients that buy everything in cash and then we just refinance out. So they, and, and, the, um, and it means that all their cash is tied up in that one particular deal at that one time. Okay, so, um, so Zirazak Ziraz, um, has said, Cash is the best best way of doing it. So what are the pros and cons of using cash? Well, the pros are that you haven't got the cost of finance on the purchase, massive. You can potentially complete quicker, although I think if you've got a good bridging lender, you can complete in the same sort of time as you were with a cash purchase. One of my favorite bridging lenders at the moment has got a guaranteed 10 working day turnaround in place at the moment if you use the solicitors they recommend. It's really helpful. They just happen to be, well, the guy just happens to be one of my best mates. So I'm like, this is amazing. And he's also the best commercial solicitor in the country. So we're doing a ton of stuff with that lender at the moment where we're guaranteeing 10 working day turnarounds. Tell me a cash purchase that will happen in 10 working days. A lot of the time, it just don't happen like that. So um, yeah, it's, uh, when I say they guarantee, they, they say guarantee, but it just happens a lot of the time that it is around that sort of time. Um, so the reality is, is, is it quicker than a bridge? Potentially not. No, it's probably about the same. It's a matter of days difference. It really is. Um, but you don't have the cost of funds. You don't have the cost of the um, the higher. You don't, you, know, you don't need a specialist solicitor. You're not going to pay for the lender's solicitor. You're not going to pay for the lender's fees. You're not going to pay higher broker fees, potentially. You're not going to pay for the interest. But by doing that, 
you let your own cash go further because you can then put your cash into multiple property deals at the same time. Or if you're shy of cash, you don't have to put as money, much money into that deal in the, in the first place. Um, so what I find with my clients is we've got, I've got sort of three different types of clients that do these kind of things. And I, and I put sort of conversions and, and my and sort of light development work into this as well. It's all under that BRR umbrella. You're buying something, you're changing it, renovating it, improving it, and then we're refinancing it at the back end to pull out as much cash as we can. We've got the cash buyers. They buy cash, no, you know, the costs are lower. Um, by the way, guys, if you, if you buy cash, still get a freaking survey done. Just pay for it yourself. Um, because when you come to the refinance, sometimes you can get a shock if you've got, if you know, something pops up on a survey then that you really, you know, wish you'd learned about before you'd even purchase the property. Um, we then got the high leverage bridging clients. They want to leverage as much as they possibly can because they know that that means that all their money will go a lot further and they can build their portfolio quicker. And then you've got the middlemen. You've got the people people there in the, in the centre that they just do mid-leveraged bridging. So it might be 50, 60% loan to value on the bridge. They put more money in, but it's less than if they bought it cash. So their money does go a bit further, but they're also um, their cost of funds is lower than when they're just going down the high leverage route. And generally speaking, it's not just lower because you're borrowing less, it's lower because probably the interest rate that you're paying will be that much lower as well. So, um, so there you go, there you go. So how's that M's, did I do all right? Let me know, let me know. Well, cool. Well, that went quick, didn't it? That went quick, that was fun. Um, so yes, this is, uh, um, uh, this is the Monday Mortgage Melt coming to an end, um, episode 136. So join me next week for episode 137, live at five on Monday. In the meantime, guys, don't forget to go and subscribe to the Game of Loans podcast. Um, if you are late to this, I'm going to try and rip the audio from this and put it on the Game of Loans podcast this week so you can listen back while you're on your commute or while you're, you know, you're on the train or you're on a plane or wherever you go in and you like to listen to your podcast, walking down the river, you know, having a Mackey's, I don't know, whatever you, whatever you do whilst you're, um, whilst you're listening to um, your podcast, you can do, you can listen back to this one as well as the other 115 odd episodes that I've done, which are partly solo, not that many solo episodes, partly some of these Q and A's and partly um, some fantastic guests. Mainly they are guest podcasts. So go and check those out. Some awesome, awesome episodes in there. Uh, but guys, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, cloudy um, April Monday. Um, it's been great answering your questions. I hope they've been really useful, uh, the answers. And have an amazing week. Um, let's, uh, let's all catch up. I'll tell you what, what are you doing next week at five o'clock? See you then for the Monday Mortgage Mail episode 137. Bye, guys. Yep, that's it. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the episode, guys. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of the other Game of Loans podcast episodes, please, I would ask you a massive favour to leave a five-star review. It massively helps me grow the podcast and reach more people that will hopefully enjoy the episodes as much as you have. Thank you so much in advance for this, and I'll hopefully see you on the next episode.